Lord, thank you for the opportunity we have to preach your word. Thank you that this is the moment that you've ordained. Thank you, Lord, that, that our folks have been so helpful to hear the instruction and to get their kids there early. And thank you for the worship team that is worshiping with the little kids and teaching them how to worship. Thank you, Lord, that we can create a space right now, a, a, a solemn, holy, attentive place where we can hear from you. You're going to speak to us right now through your word, your self-revelation. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we open the ears of our hearts right now and say, speak to us, Lord. Jesus, you're the way. You're the truth. You are the life. And we want to hear from you. So thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. John 14, 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Verse 8, Philip now pipes in. Philip said to him, Lord, just, just show us the Father and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. It's an amazing claim. It's a claim of deity. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe? And this is the question for all of us this morning. Do you not believe that I, Jesus speaking first person, am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So this morning, our text is, is, is found in a, in a context of the disciples of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago being very worried and concerned because Jesus was leaving them. And they didn't understand why Jesus was leaving them. And so they're saying, Jesus, we don't understand. Where are you going? Our hearts are troubled. What's going on here? Help us understand this. And in that context, in that context, Jesus then explains to them two things. And these are the two, th- the two main things of the sermon. Here's what he says to them. Trust me. The way he says it in verse 1 there, if you look at verse 1 again, he says, believe in God. And the second thing he says is, do the works of Christ. Skip down to verse 12. Skip down to verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, will also do the works that I do. 
and greater works than these he will do. So, so his disciples come to him and say, we're very troubled. We don't understand. And Jesus says to them, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in me, in verse 1. And then in verse 12, he says, if you believe in me, you will do the works that I do. And even greater works than these will you do. And that is the main point this morning. I believe God's, God's heart for you this morning is this. If your heart's troubled, if, if you're looking at the Lord right now and say, we don't understand, he's saying, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in me. And if you believe in me, you'll do the works that I have done. So we're going to take a look at what does it mean to trust the Lord, and we're going to take a look at what does it mean to do the works that he does. But before that, before that, I have a question for you. I mean, we, we know what was troubling the disciples' hearts. Jesus was leaving. They were scared. What troubles your heart this morning? Perhaps some of you are troubled in your heart by the very message that I'm preaching right now. Perhaps you're troubled in your heart at God's call of salvation for you. God's call for you to live for him and not for you. It actually offends you. You're troubled by it. That may be troubling your heart. Others of you who are believers, your heart may be troubled because life, there's evil in this world, and things have happened to you that are evil, that you don't like, and you're trying to make sense of it. I'm troubled by this evil, this senseless suffering, Lord. Perhaps others of you are troubled because you don't know the future. That was part of the the thing that was troubling the disciples. They didn't know what was going to happen the next day. All they knew Jesus was saying, I'm leaving. What? What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next week, Lord? We've invested all of our time, all of our money, three and a half years with you, and you're leaving now? Some of you may be saying, Lord, what's the future hold for me? Am I going to lose my job? What's going to happen to our economy? How about my education? You're troubled. And the Lord wants to say to you, trust me. Trust me and, and you do the works of Christ. Trust me and do the works of Christ. Others of you are troubled right now, maybe, maybe most of us, because you've got relational conflict. For some of you, it's on the surface You had a few crosswords with your spouse, with your kids. I know that none of you argue on the way here with your children. I know you don't. Personally, I never do that, okay? I choose to argue with them at home. Then we can ride in silence to the church. Just kidding. But on a serious note, some of you have some real trouble at home. You're sitting there thinking, I don't even know if I want this relationship to continue. I'm pretty fed up. Or some of you maybe have been betrayed in a relationship. Maybe someone has really, really sinned against you. They've broken your heart. They've spoken against you. So you're troubled. And and the final group that I kind of felt here was, maybe, maybe you're troubled by regret. You know, you look in the mirror and you say, You've wasted your life. You regret where you're at in your career. You regret where you're at in your finances. You regret all those decisions you shouldn't have made. You regret maybe where you're at in your relationships. Maybe you're in a bad place in your relationship, and you regret it, and you're sitting there troubled. You're consumed by yourself and the regret that you have. 
And the Lord Jesus wants to say to you this morning, listen to him say this. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then jumping to verse 12, if you believe, you're going to do the works that I did. And those works, my friend, will give a significance to your life that nothing else can, that nothing else can. That is the main point of this message. If you want to know the main point of this message is trust and do the works of Christ. And, and a sub-point is this. The answer to a troubled heart is trust in God. The answer to a troubled heart is trust in God. If your heart's troubled because of stuff happening here on the horizontal plane in this world, it's because you're not trusting God on the, God on the vertical plane this way. Mark it down. Every conflict you had, every depression you experienced, every lack of faith, every anxiety is because you're not trusting God. And he wants you to trust him. Because when you trust him, then you can do the works of Christ. We're going to examine those works in the sermon. So let's take a look here. Let's take a look at trusting God. And if you have notes, it's the first point in the notes. Let's take a look again at, at John 14, 1 to 6. Jesus says, let not your... Hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. Where I am, you may be also. So what's happening here? The disciples are saying, Jesus, why are you going? And Jesus says to them very clearly, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. My father's house is heaven. So what Jesus is saying is this, trust me, don't let your hearts be troubled. I've got to go before you and prepare a place for you to be with God. And I will come back and get you so that you'll be where I am. Now, what he's talking about there, he's talking about heaven. That's the father's house, the place in the father's house. And he's talking about his second coming. Now, he hasn't come back a second time. That's why you're here right now. So this promise is still in play. He left the disciples 2,000 years ago to die on a cross, to lay in a grave three days, to be resurrected from the grave, to be on this earth 40 days, and to ascend to the Father to prepare a place for us with God. And his promise is that one day he's going to come back and take us to be with him. That alone, that alone, that alone can comfort your troubled heart when literally, when literally everything's against you. That'll comfort your heart. Let it comfort your heart. Let it cause you to trust God. I want to talk to you just briefly about heaven. I want to invite you to think about heaven as a means of grace to trust God when your heart is troubled. There's a little book called Heaven. It's a little pamphlet. It's published by Randy Alcorn. It's, it's actually, the little pamphlet comes from his large volume on heaven. I just encourage you to purchase that. Start with the little booklet. You'll love it. And buy the big book. And think about heaven. Think about the place that Jesus has prepared for us. Heaven, when you die now, prior to Christ's second coming, heaven is a place where your soul is immediately with the Lord. 
It's, it's termed the intermediate heaven. But it's not the final place we're going to be. Because Jesus promises us elsewhere that when he comes back a second time, he's going to raise our physical bodies from the dead and give us new glorified bodies. And he's going to come to this earth and he's going to renew this earth to be a new earth. And we're going to live in a city. It's a place, a physical place. And it's going to be fun And it's going to be work, but good work. And it's going to be adventurous. And it's going to be exciting. No more sin. No more tears. No more evil. That's our hope, guys. The the Bible says it this way. If there is no resurrection, we of all people are most to be pitied. So we can't live for this world if our eyes are on this world, significance in this world, if our eyes are trying to get it all in this world, we're going to be sorely disappointed. You're not meant to have it all in this world. Your ultimate significance is meant to be in Christ, fulfilling what he was called to do, which we'll look at in a moment. And your ultimate resting place is heaven, intermediate, and then the new earth when Jesus comes back a second time with the resurrected body. That's your hope. You need to think about that so that you can trust the Lord, so that I can trust the Lord. You see, if part of the reason for your troubled hearts is the loss of dear ones through death or disillusionment with this present world, then God calls you to tell your troubled heart to trust him. Tell your troubled heart to trust him in light of his promise of heaven and paradise. Receive right now the gift of peace in the confidence that he's coming as he promised and that he has prepared a place for all who love him in the glory that will surely be his. In scripture, in Acts 17.31, you can just mark that down, Acts 17.31, it says that because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, that's Jesus, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him, Jesus, from the dead, That day, dear friend, is entered in the calendar of God. It was entered into the calendar of God when the world was made. And it's daily drawing near. And my question to you is, are you ready for that day? Do you have a room in that place? When I plan an overnight trip to another city, I make sure that I have a place to stay. Either by going online or by by calling a friend that lives in that city and seeing if I can stay with them. Well, we have a place to stay for all eternity with God. And it's been bought. It's been reserved in Jesus' name. It's been paid for by Jesus' blood. It's been confirmed by Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And it's been communicated to us by the Holy Spirit. Friend, do you have that reservation? Are you sure? Are you sure? Do you have a place to stay on the other side of this life in eternity? Do you? May this question trouble your heart if you are not a true Christian. And may it comfort your heart if you are. We trust the Lord Jesus with our troubled hearts because he is the only way to the Father. Number one, we trust him because he's gone ahead of us and and, and prepared a place for us. And number two, we trust him because he's the only way to the Father. Look at verses 4 through 6. Verses 4 through 6. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, 
We don't know the way where you're going. How can we know the way? Excuse me, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The disciples were troubled because Jesus was departing and they did not know where he was going. They were not paying attention to what he was saying when he told them that I had to leave. Remember that Peter, in chapter 13, verse 36, when Jesus gave the great commandment, love one another as I have loved you, he totally wasn't listening because in verse 33 of chapter 13, he says, I've got to go. So Peter's just listening there, and Jesus is giving this command. He's preaching passionately. Peter, love one another as I have loved you. Peter's like, didn't hear anything. Verse 36, where are you going? And we are so much like Peter, so much like Thomas. Thomas says, Jesus says, you know the way. Verse 4. Thomas says, Jesus, how can I know the way if I don't even know where you're going? It'd be like, like Wally's saying, hey, Al. Meet me for lunch today. You know the way. And he walks away. I go, Wally, how can I know the way if I don't know where you're going? See, like Thomas, we cry out to God. We don't know where you're going with this, Lord. We don't know why this is happening, Lord. What are you doing here, Lord? Lord, what is this all about? Because we've forgotten where he's going. You know where he's going? He's not going specifically to what you want necessarily, or not even your happiness, though he does love you and he wants you to be happy. You know where he's going? He's going to the Father and the Father's glory. So once we fix where he's going, then it makes more sense the way there. Because the way there, my friends, was for Jesus the next day, this was Thursday night, Friday, to climb up on a cross and leave them, i.e. die. And to go into a grave for three days. And to be raised from the dead. And for 40 days to be with them, but then to ascend into heaven. Because that was the way. That was the place. The place is God and his glory. And that's what we must remember. And Jesus says to them, the reason I'm the way is because I am the truth. And I am the life. You see that? I am the truth. And I am the life. Jesus is the way because he's the truth and he's the life. Now pay attention carefully because in our relativistic world, this statement and this verse is very offensive. This is the verse that will get you in trouble every time. Someday this verse will get us thrown into jail. And someday this verse may get us killed. There's a story about Polycarp, who was an early uh, church father. That is to say, he would have known John, the evangelist who wrote this, he would have been the next generation. And Polycarp was about 80 years old. He was in Smyrna, modern-day Turkey. And he was a beloved figure, and the Roman government wanted to kill him, and the, and the Christians tried to hide him. And, and, and so finally one day they, they, they tortured a Christian, and they told him where he was hiding, and they came to him, and they said, Polycarp, we know they're coming, go. And he says, no, I'm ready. So they came. Polycarp was so kind that the Roman jailers didn't want to kill him. And the Roman proconsul, the leader, said, look, Polycarp, all you have to do is this. Kiss the emperor's figure. Kiss his ring. Kiss the, the image of the emperor. Just say he is Lord or a Lord. Polycarp says, I can't do that. Quotes this passage. My Lord told me that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. 
I'm sorry. Buddhism, Islam, whatever religion you invent, anything, you fill in the blank. None of them come to the Father. Why? Because none of them speak truth. Jesus is the only way to God the Father because he's the only one who speaks the absolute truth about God the Father. Jesus is God the Son who has come in the flesh to reveal God the Father. Jesus Jesus narrates God to us. Imagine a, 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 a father opening a book and reading a book to his children, narrating to his children a book. Jesus is he's like that for us. He's sitting next to our bed, and he's narrating the Father. He's saying, this is what the Father looks like. He's the only one with truth, and he's the only one with life. Don't you remember that, that in John, at one point, Jesus says, I have life within myself, and they wanted to kill him. And don't you remember that in John, there's a dead man who'd been in the grave for four days. He was already beginning to stink. And Jesus walks up to that grave and he says with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, who had been dead four days, comes up from the grave. And Jesus said what? I am the resurrection. I am the life. Friend, whatever it is that you're looking to to get life, whether it's success, money, pleasure, people, things, it will defraud you. It will deceive you because nothing, no one has life other than Jesus. Therefore, Jesus is the way because he's the truth. Only he speaks the exact truth about God and he's the life. Only he has life. So trust him. So trust him. And if you trust him, the Bible says that you will do the works that he did. Take a look here at verses 7 to 11. Let's take a look at the works of Christ. What are these works? John 14, 7 to 11. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the father and the father is in me. Here's the work of Jesus. The work of Jesus was to reveal the father to us. Now, how did he do that? What was the main place that Jesus revealed the Father to us? It was the cross. See, that's why he's saying to his disciples, I've got to go, I've got to go to prepare this place for you that's going to be in heaven so that I can come back and get you. But in order to prepare this place, the way I've got to go is the way of glorifying the Father and revealing to you the Father. And in order to do that, tomorrow at 9 in the morning, they're going to put me on a cross. He's been trying to tell them that for the last couple of months. And every time he does, they rebuke him. Peter one time says, oh, no, you can't die, Lord. And and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. What they did not understand is that the Father is most revealed, which is why Jesus came, by, by Jesus' death on the cross. Because Jesus' death on the cross tells us the second thing that Jesus came to do, which we cannot do, we cannot emulate that here. He came to die for your sins and mine. We can... Image the Father, 
and image the Son, be like Jesus. That's why we're called Christians, Christ-like ones. We cannot die for anybody on the cross. But this is the work of Christ. And that's what it says in verses 7 to 11. He's saying to Philip, hey, you want to see God? Then Philip, watch me. Keep your eyes on me. Because I'm going to leave you tomorrow. And in my leaving, I'm going to give you the greatest picture of God you can ever have. Reading from your notes. The supremely revealing event when God displays himself in Jesus with most startling glory. The moment when the Father is most powerfully glorified in his Son lies in the glorification of Jesus. The death, exaltation of Jesus. Now immediately ahead, the next morning. And it is the consequence of that event, the gift of the Spirit, which Corey will speak about next week, that will finally enable Jesus' disciples to grasp the truth of which they are still but dimly aware. Are you dimly aware of it? Where did God go to reveal himself? And what does that say about him? Let me tell you what it says about him. Let me tell you what it says about him. The cross reveals the wonder of God's love, but don't stop there. It also reveals the terror of God's holiness. Do not fail to get that picture, because if you do, you're a blind man. Listen carefully. The cross is the place where God's love The wonder of the love is seen. And the terror of his holiness is seen. Jesus was judged. God's judgment. So that we might receive mercy. So at the cross, mercy and judgment, they kiss. They meet. God's holiness is vindicated, and its terror is seen on the terror of Jesus' face, on the cries of Jesus' lips, on the blood from his brow, on the, on the brokenness uh, of, of his very soul as he received the wrath that you and I deserve. Look at God. He's naked, writhing in pain on a cross, and will ultimately, after six hours, die of asphyxiation. Now, God didn't die. Jesus died. But Jesus is God and man. Mystery, yes. But oh, plumb the depths of God's love. Oh, plumb the depths of the terror of his holiness. Stand back and be amazed. The point is you can't understand God the Father if you do not understand God the Son on the cross. And Jesus came to image the Father. Now, I cannot image the Father that way. But I can image the Father in obeying him like Jesus did. Elsewhere in the Bible, it says that Jesus obeyed the Father by coming to this earth, taking on the form of a man, and humbling himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I can't do that. Only one man was called to die. But I can image him by obeying him, by living my life according to what he says and not what I think, by living my life according to his purposes and not what I want. 
This is what we're called to do. These are the works of Christ that you're called to do. Let's pick up the narrative in verse 12. Hopefully this will come together here in these last few verses. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. So at the beginning of of John chapter uh, 14, at the very beginning of this chapter, in verse 1, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me. And then now in verse 12, he says, truly, truly, if you believe in me, if you believe, if you trust me, then what you're going to do is you're going to do these works that I do and greater works than these will you do. And not only that, verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What is the key to these verses, verses 12 to 14? Well, let me suggest to you that the key is found at the end of verse 12. At the end of verse 12. Because I am going to the Father. Do you see now why he said to his disciples, hey guys, don't be troubled because I'm leaving. My leaving is going to actually enable you to do the works that I do and greater works that I do. It's going to enable you to have a place in eternity with the Father. (laughs) It's a good thing. So don't be troubled. Now, you've got to believe. Because I physically won't be here. Next week, Corey's going to talk to you about the Spirit whom he and the Father will send. So, do you believe? Do you trust? Do you, do you live your life for what God says and God wants? Is your eye on the prize? Have you heard the Lord whisper into your ear, this is where I'm going? Oh, that's where you're going. Right, the way makes sense now. Sure, the cross. Humiliation, nakedness, brokenness, the wrath of God. Yeah, why didn't I think of that? Because you're not God. No one thought of that. And they didn't understand it until after Jesus rose from the dead. But, but, but we're on the other side of that. So when trials come, when difficulty comes, when brokenness comes, when all my dreams are shattered in a moment, when death and deceit and betrayal come, I say, oh, Father, I can do the works of Christ here. I can image you here. Because you revealed yourself at the most, at the most humiliating, broken, terrible place. You revealed yourself not only there, but when you rose from the dead three days later. You revealed yourself when you ascended into heaven and sat at the right hand of the Father. Lord, I can do this. I can do your works here. Not by rebuking the calamity, but by imaging Christ. No one can defeat us. No one can defeat us. Nothing can happen to you that cannot be turned into an opportunity to image the Father and glorify the Father. Nothing. Don't be afraid of losing your job. Don't be afraid of someone hurting you. You, Don't be afraid of death. It's just a quick way to the Father. Face to face. Do be afraid of what you're going to say to him if you don't know Christ as your Savior. Be very afraid. Very afraid. Now you will notice in the second part of verse 12, I'm sure you've noticed it, that Jesus says that you will do even greater works than he did. How is that possible? 
And he raised the dead. Any of you raised the dead recently? No. I'm not going to ask whether any of you have killed anybody, because I don't want to know. But I don't think any of us have raised the dead. So what does Jesus mean by this? What does he mean that you will do greater works than these? How is that possible? Here's how it's possible. Jesus' work of imaging the Father, which we can do. Jesus' work of imaging the Father, which we can do. Was done on this earth pre-giving of the Holy Spirit. Pre-ascension of Christ. Everything he did was pre-ascension of Christ. When he ascended into heaven... The Bible says that he and the Father poured out the Holy Spirit upon us, thus inaugurating a new age, a greater age, what's called the new eschatological, fancy word for end time, new eschatological age of the Spirit. We're people of the Spirit. We're the new covenant. It's a greater time. So therefore, the greater aspect of the work that you and I get to do is that we live in a greater time because Jesus went to the Father. So there's more of us now to image the Father. Back then there was one, Jesus. He says, you want me to go? I need to go. Because me going is going to now assure you a place. It's going gonna, it's gonna to release something. Corey's going to tell you about that next week. It's going to release the Spirit. And now instead of one man imaging the Father in Palestine, we've got probably millions of people imaging Christ right now. That's greater. And we've got millions of people being made disciples of Jesus Christ. That's greater. There is no greater thing than God converting a soul. I can't do that. You can't do that. But there is no greater thing than the follow-up discipleship of that soul, turning a rebellious heart that lives for sin and self into an obedient heart that lives for God. And, And heaven's going, there's another one. There's another one. Look, Father, there's another son. There's another daughter. They look like you. They're imaging you. They're They're being tortured. They're being deprived. They're being rejected at work. They just lost their job. But look, there's faith and joy. Look at that marriage. They just had a conflict, but they humbled themselves. Oh, Father, remember when you first created Adam and Eve? And in your mind, when they were together in the most intimate moment, you then had thousands of years later, Paul say, here's the mystery. That intimacy, that relationship reflects Jesus in the church. Look, instead of getting divorced, they're staying married. Wow, heaven is rejoicing. And do you hear the rumble? It's getting louder and louder and louder and louder. And one day Jesus is coming back and his enemies are going to be obliterated. And his glory is going to be seen for what it is because the father and the son are going to stand and they're going to say, now. And when that day comes, do you have a reservation? Do you have the place? Have you lived your life imaging God or yourself and Satan? That's the question. Who are you imaging? Whose glory are you living for? Oh, friend, live for the glory of God. It's possible. That's why Jesus left. Trust him. Believe in him. And do his works. Let's bow our heads, please. The band would join me. As your head is bowed, I want to remind you of something that Jesus did and said at the end. Just listen to this. At the very end, Jesus said, clearly, the final words of this little sermon. He spoke to his disciples. 
Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. With every head bowed, what, what he was saying is, if you ask something according to who I am, in my name means who I am, everything I stand for, my purposes. If you ask anything that brings glory to the Father, if your eyes are on the prize, if you're looking at the right destination, then whatever you ask me, I'm going to give it to you because it's God's will that God be imaged, God be glorified. And that comes through your suffering, my friend, as much as through your exaltation. Both and. He will prosper you. He will give and he will take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Father, teach us to pray this way. Thy will be done, not my will be done. Thy kingdom come, not my kingdom come. Father, because of the Son coming and dying and showing us the way to you and securing for us a place in you, we can pray in the Son's name and we can thank you, God, that you will hear our prayers. Lord, help us to image you. When the going gets tough, when our hearts are troubled, oh God, help us to tell them to trust you. Because you truly are the way. You are the truth. And you are the life. Let us stand and sing this song. Make it a confession to God right now.